Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It is a pleasure to be here with you. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I am so excited to be joined today by Roger Brzezinski, Vice President for Finance and Administration at Millersville University. Hey, Roger. Good morning, Megan. How long have you been with Millersville? I came here in January of 2007, so just almost nine years. Can you tell us the story about how you got to Millersville? I had been in the uh, University of Maryland system for 19 years at a place called Frostburg State University in Western Maryland. Um, at the time I was there, my president, who I'd worked for for 15 years, had just retired. Um, my kids were all gone off, so my wife and I were empty nesters. So coming to Millersville was actually more of a move for my wife than it was for me. She had stayed home, and she now had a career, and this was an excellent opportunity for her uh, to come to this area and, and do clinical research. So I sort of made a little bit of a parallel move. And she got to uh, build her career. What a great husband you are. Thank you. (laughs) Maybe you could tell us about how your career began in the university setting. How did you start down this CBO road? Well, I didn't. Uh, Actually, I started um, my first job in higher education was at 24 years old. believe Oh, my goodness. And I was a faculty member in a business department in a small private college up in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania area called College Mesocordia. It's now called Mesocordia University. And so I started there as a faculty member. I worked there for about three and a half years as a faculty member, and the, uh, the college got a grant to put a new computer system in, uh, and they needed an administrator to do that. My wife was pregnant. We we're ready to have our first child, and she didn't want to work. She wanted to stay at home. So they actually gave me a raise large enough to cover her salary, and I became a CIO, Chief Information Officer. Wow. I was a Chief Information Officer. I had no computers and I had no staff. (laughs) So I built everything from scratch. Wow. So talk a little bit more about that experience. What type of skill set did you feel that you were developing during that time or that you needed at that time? Well, it it was very interesting because when when you're at a small school and you don't have a staff, you get to do a lot of different things. And I was very lucky that I met my, who then became my first mentor. And uh, while putting in the system, one of the things I learned uh, a lot about was accounting because I had to put a fund accounting system. And I probably learned more accounting putting that software system in than I did in any book or course I ever took. So when I was doing that, I sort of found a knack for doing it. And my boss at the time, who was the vice president, said, you know, you're going to make a chief, you're going to make a great chief financial officer. I'm going to mentor you and work with you. And he started me on that path. Wow. So what sorts of things did he do that sort of guided you along the path? That's so intentional. Usually people aren't quite as intentional as saying, I'm going to lead you down this path. They just sort of happen to be a positive influence. He had a motive. 
his mother was to train somebody and become a president and take them with him. Um, so that was kind of his motive. Is that what happened? Uh, well, close. Okay. Um, he, um, no, he started showing me how to build budgets, how to uh, do an analytics on them, how to track them, uh, how to use the accounting system to create um, reports and stuff that he would use uh, to, you know, manage the finances of the university and stuff. And so uh, he would also allow me to do presentations to the board. So I get an idea of what that was like to do boards. And he was very, very good about the first couple I did. He gave me what he called was slam dunk winners. So the board would see me as somebody who comes in and talks about success, mm. uh, which was a really uh, neat trick, which I've actually done to staff that worked for me over the years. Um, and so I got to learn a lot about accounting, but more importantly, I got to learn about how an organization, how a higher education organization works. I got to do a lot of different things. He stuck me in financial aid for a while. He stuck me in admissions for a while. So he, he, I did a lot of institutional research for him. So I got a lot of hands and a lot of different things. And his idea was to expose me to as many things as he possibly could. And so when he, when he was looking for a job, the president came to me and said he wanted me to stay there and be the chief financial officer there. And my mentor, who was a VP, wanted me to go with him. So, <laughs> so I actually, what I did is I divorced them both and I went to Buffalo and started working <laughs> <at PhD. laughs> And the reason I did is because they both said to me, if you're really going to stay in higher ed, you need to work on your PhD. So that's what you did? So that's what I did. And what did you get your PhD? I actually, I never completed it. I'm the notorious ABD. Got it. Got it. All but dissertation. I, yep. I've written my title in the dissertation as far as I got. What's the title? Uh, implementation of uh, fiber optics on a university campus. Wow. Going back was, to the that, CIO days. That was the title in 1988. And I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did implement a fiber optics network, but uh, I never wrote the paper on it. I think one of the mistakes I made was, was I should have stayed one more year there. I would have probably got my dissertation done in a year. Uh, but once you move away and you have children, it's really, really hard. But I only got it because I thought I was going to be a president someday. And the closer I got to the president's job, the more I didn't want to be one. So, Oh, why is that? Tough job. President's a tough job. I mean, you have to fundraise. You have to you know, be in the faculty's camp, be in administrator's camp. You got board. Public higher education presidents are very difficult. For instance, in our system, we have two boards. We have a board of governors that controls tuition and state appropriation. And then we have a council of trustees that controls all the other auxiliaries. So he has two boards to deal with. Then he has a affiliate, three affiliate boards, foundations and stuff he's got to deal with. Plus he has senators and congressmen and governors calling about favors and stuff. It, it's a very, very tough... I, I have more control over my day than my present. I, I would love for you to go, go go kind of back to those initial days of getting all of that exposure that you were getting and first learning about the CBO role. What was it about that role that really stood out to you that you were really enjoying? Um, it's going to sound a little strange, but money. You know, nothing happens without money. So if you're involved in a CFO role, you're going to be involved in almost everything. And so because everything turns to money and then they got to come to you. Can we afford to do this? What would the budget be? Can we do scenarios? Can we do analysis? What would we need? What would the back office up? So you're always going to be involved when it deals with money. So the, the thing that I liked about it was I got involved in everything. Uh, and I really enjoyed 
being in all aspects of the campus. And, you know, I think what happens when you do that early on in your career, and I was very fortunate to do, you learn that you're not a chief financial officer. You're an officer of the institution first. And even though you run a division and you have to take care of that division, the institution is first. And so um, I think when you just come up as an accountant and right through the thing, you have a tendency to try to protect your division and not protect the institution. And I think because of the, the way I came up, I always had that thing that the institution was more important and I always put that first. So I, I think all those things led to that. And I'm sure that's made you an, an excellent CBO and steward of those, of those resources. Let's hope so. <laughs> when, when you look at your role now, is that still the thing that stands out to you? Or are there other aspects of your job that you feel are really important to you today? No, I think probably the, the biggest joy I get today um, is reshaping the campus from a facilities point of view. It's a way you can put your imprint on a campus for the next 50 years. So when I came to Millersville in 2007, in the last nine, eight and a half years, we spent about $350 million reshaping our campus. We've, we're, by the end of the next summer, we'll have tore down every old resident hall, all brand new resident halls. We'll have added $30 million into our student center, redid the library, built two performing arts centers, renovated several buildings, gutted them and renovated them, rerouted roads, uh, uh, built uh, athletic fields, built a new stadium, built new astral surf for, for practices, uh, built a baseball stadium, built a softball stadium. Uh, so I really, uh, I built, I bought a building for the university in downtown Lancaster uh, that we bought at 30 cents on the dollar because the place went, was going bankrupt. That is now uh, a shining beacon in the city of Lancaster for its arts programming. So it, I, I think the imprint I'll leave, uh, uh, Millersville with was I was probably the CFO during its largest construction period uh, in its history. And then we're over 155 years old. So that's, that's a big, bold statement. And I've helped reshape the campus for the next 50 years. You've been busy, Roger. Yeah. You know, I try to stay out of trouble, stay busy. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think that is probably the thing that uh, generates more interest and, in, you know, makes it still fun to do because you're, you're, you're seeing something, you're building it, you're seeing it, you're seeing it come to a conclusion and you're seeing the effects that it has on other people, how the students love it, how they learn better. We create a better environment. So that, that's kind of cool. Cause it's, it's a, it's not a result you're going to see 20 years from now. Like, you know, if you build the endowment or something, it's, you can see right away. And, and that kind of drives me now more than anything. What would you say has been the biggest learning from all of that building that you've been doing? And I, I use that term sort of metaphorically because it sounds like it's more than just buildings. I'm closing out my 38th year here in August and starting my 39th. Um, probably the biggest things I've had to learn is the management of people. Numbers are numbers, buildings are buildings, but people change all the time and there's all different types of people. And I think the hardest things have been to learn are the differences of people and stuff and how to get how to, you know, it's like a good coach. How do, how do I coach staff into being better? How do I tell them what their strengths and what their weaknesses are, help them with their weaknesses and build on their strengths? How do you do that and still try to do all the other things around you 
uh, is, is very, very difficult. And it's probably the hardest things and it's probably the most lessons I've learned over the years is, is in that area. You know, building a building, you know, I'm not an engineer, but I know it works. Let the engineers figure out the other pieces. Uh, money, one in one is always two. It's not, not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's really the people issues. Uh, and then you mix in the, you know, the personalities and you mix in the pub, uh, the politics of the places and stuff. Those are always the most difficult and the, probably the things you learn the most from. Can you think of a specific situation that you felt like, wow, this, this is, I finally figured out how to do this piece of it, this management piece of it. it, it yes. There's a, there was a, 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 ha moment. Um, we were negotiating, the president of Frostburg State University and I were negotiating with Jack Kent Cook, then owner of the Washington Redskins NFL football team. And we were negotiating with them to have their preseason come to our campus. And um, we were sitting there, and I'm sitting there across the table negotiating with a, a billionaire, you know? It's, it's kind of intimidating. Um, and somewhere in that meeting, I realized that I had found the place I needed to be, the job I needed to be, because Mr. Cook would come back at me, and I remember saying to him, when he, I, he didn't like my answer, and he says, what makes you think you know you know how to run a football team? And I said, I do not know how to run a football team, sir, but I know how much what you're asking me costs to do on my campus, and we can't afford to do that. And I think that was my biggest first aha moment of, oh, my, this is really what I want to do. And I'm actually good at this because I just told a millionaire <laughs> cliff, you know. <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty cool moment. And I remember my boss saying to me on the way out, she goes, well, that took some guts to look him in the face and say that. I said, yeah, but it was true. I felt it, you know. So that's probably the first big aha moment I had as a CFO. And that was probably about a year and a half into my first CFO job. Wow. Yeah. So you knew you knew you were in the right place at the right time. With the right president. Mm. I think that helps too. I, I don't think it – I've been very, very lucky. I've had, you know, I've had several mentors and um, she was – I've had three mentors in my life. And uh, she was my third mentor, and she was a great mentor. She was the one who taught me patience, slow down, analyze it, think it through, grease the wheels a little bit. You know, don't always pull the train down the track with, with all the friction that you can create. <laughs> Get a little bit of a smoother run. So um, I, I, would, I was very lucky that way. Well, it sounds like you have had a lot of great role models in your life. Is that something that you try to do for others now? You know, so, somebody asked me about 10 years ago, well, if you don't want to pre be a president, what do you want to do? I said, I want to create little, you know, new vice president. You know? <laughs> a vice president factory. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I've created three so far where I've helped three individuals become vice presidents, mentored them. I have a VP that I ordered, I hired last year, uh, a woman. And my, my job over the next couple of years is to teach her this job. So when I leave, she gets this job. So I've done that three times. I'm working on my fourth. I work with the Kubo on the new business officer mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. on the first morning meeting about lessons from the trenches that you can learn from old CBOs who've been around a while. Uh, the other thing I do, um, you know, being a father of three daughters, I'm very, very concerned about women's opportunities. And so I sent, we have a group here on campus. I started sending uh, key women in my division two to three a year to the Women's Leadership Institute that Nakubo is part of. I've sent 10 women over the last five years there. And we're sending two again this year. 
And what we do is we now have an alumni association. So the 10 who have gone will have breakfast in August with the two who are going, and they'll talk about what they'll learn, what they need to do, how they can get their most out of it. And so they've created their own little kind of club organization. So I'll sit with out breakfast with 12 of them, and we'll talk about what we expect from them to learn as they go there and, and stuff. So, yeah, I've tried to – I've been very lucky that people help me, so I work very, very hard at trying to mentor and help others. When you are trying to identify identify someone that would be a good fit for the CBO role, what really stands out to you as far as characteristics? I mean, skill set, I think, is it can be taught, but what sort of personal characteristics are you looking for or really stand out to you that makes you know that that person would be a good candidate? You know, uh, that is a great, great question. We are actually doing a, uh, a presentation at Nakubo about transitioning, about how you can take an assistant director and make them a director and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that we look for are certain characteristics. One of the things that I look for is, uh, is this person uh, willing to put the institution first? Are they willing to place the institution ahead of themselves? And do you look for examples of that or? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, The real character of an individual is when things are going bad. Right. And how they behave when things are going bad. Everybody can behave well when things are going bad. So when things are going bad, are they putting themselves, are they putting teams together and putting themselves to try to solve problems? Or are they just sitting over there and pointing fingers that it's everybody else's problem and it's not mine? The other thing I look for is must, do they have the respect of the others in the room? Are there other colleagues in the organization? Do they have the respect of people in other divisions? Are they somebody who can go across the campus and talk with almost anybody and deal with almost anybody and with respect? What's their work ethic? Do they work hard to excel? I think it's very, very important. How do they manage themselves? I I like to call them low-maintenance people because I don't have to spend a lot of time with them. They go do their job uh, and they do it well. Are they open to feedback and criticism? Do they see criticism as something as a way to help them be better? Or do they see, oh, you're just, you don't like me or, you know, you you don't want me to do good or whatever. Do they say, okay, I can take that and I I can learn from that. And are they good at their current position? If they're not good at their current position, they're not going to be good at the next one up. And so, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a perfect fit. I, I've taken people who work in payroll and put them in a bookstore manager. I've taken people who are a trainer and put them in as executive director of HR. It's, it, it's not like you're just the executive, you're the assistant HR director, now you're the director of HR. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I was at a place and people were complaining about this one guy. They said, this, this guy... He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't work very hard. And so I, I started watching again. And I realized he doesn't work very hard because he's incredibly organized. So I was having a problem in payroll that was not organized. So I took him out of AP and I put him in payroll. And within six months, he had everything fixed. So I had a problem in my bookstore. So I took him out of payroll. I put him in my bookstore and he fixed my bookstore, where he's eventually retired from. I don't necess- you don't necessarily have to follow the path right along you're going. I'll take you and move you somewhere else. If I think you have the skill set, because if you know how to manage, you know how to manage, you know, you, you can manage no matter what it is. You just got to learn. I can teach you the bookstore part. I can teach you the accounting part. Good people skills to manage other people's and to see systems and processes to improve them is a really tough skill. And it's a great skill that you want to take advantage of. So those are the types of things, you know, respect of others, intelligency, work ethic. Team player, self-managers, feedback, taking they take feedback criticism, performs well in their current situation, and puts the institution out of itself. Those are the characteristics. 
Now, if you don't, you don't have to have them all. You better have most of them. That was a great recap, Roger. I was very impressed you were able to kind of tick those off. I actually had written down later. <laughs> Good for you. I figured that was going to come. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing all CBOs today? Oh, wow. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference if you're private or public. I just think the, the, the declining demographics makes it very, very difficult. In Pennsylvania alone, we're going to lose about 20,000 students a year eligible to go to college from high school. So that, that's, that's tough. If you're in a public university, it's declining public support. When uh, Millersville was in, is in the Pennsylvania system, Pennsylvania uh, system, when it was created in 1983, over 60% of its budget came from the state. Today, 25% of the budget comes from the state. Yet we have more controls and more accountability than we've ever had in our lifetime. That makes it very, very difficult. The, the pressure on accountability, the pressure on price. Uh, one, of the, one of the great, I believe, one of the great myths of higher education is that student debt is out of control. So I, I made it a point to go back and look at my student debt. I graduated from college in 1974 with $5,200 worth of debt. If you put that $5,200 of debt and you, you play it out over the years to today and what the present value of that is, it's $27,000, which is about the average of student debt kids coming out of college. Now, $27,000 sounds a lot more than $5,000, but proportionally to the times and the value of a dollar, it's no different. So I, I think it's an incredibly difficult period um, to be a CBO. As a CBO... Who do you turn to or what resources do you look to to help you when you're struggling with a particular challenge or even just one of these uh, more current trends that you're talking about? What do you do to when you sort of hit the end of your own idea pool? Okay. So what, which I've always done, not just, I've done this my whole life, no matter if it's a CIO, a faculty member or what, I go to my colleagues. I go to my colleagues across the nation in the system uh, friends I've made up over the years. Um, when I was in uh, Maryland, there was about three or four uh, CBOs that I would consult with all the time saying, how, you got, how are you guys handling this? Or what are you doing about that? Or have you tried this or that? We actually had a group at one time. There were six of us. We called ourselves a six pack. <laughs> and we would go to Nakubo or Ekubo or one of the conferences. And we make it a point to sit have some drinks for two or three hours in an afternoon and talk about the things we're doing on the campus and are you doing this? You're doing and a lot of times we'd end up exchanging RFPs. If I was doing a dining contract and somebody just did one, they'd send me their RFP. If they thought they got a good deal. I can remember one time a friend of mine in Georgia, we 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 bet each other dinner who could get the most capital improvement in their dining contract. Um, so I you know I go to colleagues. When you're in a system, it's easy because your vice president's in Maryland and Pennsylvania meet on a regular basis. But sometimes it's interesting to talk to people in the privates and the, even the community colleges about how they deal with certain aspects. So my, my mantra has been, let's go talk to people who are like me in similar situations and what are they doing uh, that I might be able to take a piece from. And what I always call it is I come back and I millerize it. You know, I, I make it fit. Maybe not exactly what they're doing their campus, but I make it fit to our environment. So that's pretty much how I get my help. That's why I, I do a lot in the Kubo to share a lot because I, when I was younger, those are the people who helped me. Anything else you'd like to share today, Roger, that I've neglected to ask? When we did the CBO Speaks last year at the conference, one of the things I, I wanted to really 
stress, and I think I, I'd like to stress it today, is um, I didn't start out wanting to be a CFO or a CBO. You know, I, I, nobody goes to college that I am aware of <laughs> their senior year and says, hey, I want to be a chief financial officer of a public institution in hard economic times. You know, no, nobody, nobody starts out that way. Uh, you sort of fall into these jobs. Uh, they, they, you know, I started out as a faculty member and my wife didn't want to work. So I became a CIO. And then I learned a lot about from a CFO, how to be a CFO. And then I became a CFO. So I, I don't think you, I don't know when I sit and talk to my staff and I say to them, is this what you wanted to be where you are today? And they all said, no, we just sort of arrived here. And I think, I think that's the interesting thing about our jobs. And I think that's the difficulty about our organization, the Kubo. Uh, how do we train the next generation of business officers? And where do we find them? Where do we get them from? Because there isn't a steady stream or a place. It's not like I want to be a doctor or I want to be a teacher or I want to be a nurse. People sort of just fall into these jobs. Uh, and when I talk across my friends across the country, this my story is very, very similar to everybody else's. We just sort of fell into this job, fell in love with it, fell into it, fell in love with it, didn't want to leave. Thank you so much, Roger, for your time and for sharing some of your personal history and insights. What an amazing career you've had. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Megan. You can find out more about Roger and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CPO Speaks in iTunes so that you will get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Roger and myself, we'd like to thank you so, so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks.